You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another intriguing edition of Felony Inc. Podcast. Broadcasting live from NetSpace and in our living rooms in the majestic Portland, Oregon. And you want to talk about majestic, most beautiful day of the year right now. Incredible weather Amazing. in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. It's supposed to be the nicest day. And uh, in a society that houses the largest inmate population on Earth, anything that can be done to curb the recidivism rate is incredibly important. And we strive to do that here and help that out at Felony Inc. Podcast. As always, I'm joined by Meg Thibodeau. Meg, how are you doing today? All right, Dick. How's it going? I'm just hanging in there one day at a time. I hear you. It could be, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse. I think uh, for us and some of our listeners, in fact, it has been worse. I couldn't agree more. So we were going to have a guest today. And, we, you know, I think it's interesting. He's not available for whatever reason. And uh, here we are in this pandemic. It seems like it is kind of, we're kind of primed to talk about several things, but one of them perhaps is the ability to be flexible, change on a moment's notice, and in the language of startups, perhaps, how can we pivot this show? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're in the age of adaptation, so it's only right <laughs> to be adapted. <laughs> adapt to challenges and, uh, you know, move forward no matter what the situation. And there's always a lot to talk about when it comes to talking about the, uh, the justice system of this country and what it looks like for folks inside prisons. Ordinarily, we're talking about what it looks, for, looks like for folks who are getting out of prison and trying to transform their hustle from something illegal to something legal. And we love to talk about that kind of transformation. Right now, it's really uh, up in this time that's happening inside prisons with the coronavirus and how those people are having an incredibly different experience than people that are able to be quarantined in their own home. It's pretty intense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there was ever a time to feel like a second-class citizen, uh, right now, if you're in jail or prison, now is the time because you were certainly Have you been watching any of those... uh, Videos that are coming from prisons for folks that have, you know, uh, stolen cell phones that are inside prisons and they're making videos and they're pleased for help. It's absolutely heart wrenching. Yeah, but I've actually seen, uh, I think, one video like that. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, they're the forgotten ones. I, just, I mean, honestly. They're the forgotten ones. And we're not, of course, getting, you know, the full story from the prisons and from the folks in charge, what it actually looks like in there. But what we do know is that coronavirus is in our prison system. And there's a lot of talk about letting people out. And some prisons in New York, they let something like 900 people out. I haven't, I didn't brush up entirely, not expecting this to be our show this morning, but New York let some <laughs> folks out. And then you were mentioning our governor here in Oregon was thinking about releasing some people to home confinement. What well, do you yeah. think about that? Well, just, I mean, honestly, like we talked about last week, uh, just last week, uh, Governor Kate Brown pardoned two um, kind of infamous and uh, older, I guess they're over 70 years old, uh, female inmates from Coffee Creek last week. Um, after many years of trying, she cited the uh, coronavirus as reasoning to give them an early release and um, kind of backpedaled with the rest of the, <laughs> with the rest of the inmate population since then. But, um, you know, what's, what's weird to me is like, uh, take Harvey Weinstein, for instance, like it almost seemed like his first day in Rikers Island, he contracted coronavirus. And then we don't really hear much more about any other inmates in there. Right. Same with Joe Exotic, right? We get to hear yeah. about the famous one. Yeah. We don't hear yeah. about the folks that nobody, you know, you know, I, I don't mean nobody cares about. But, yes, sometimes nobody cares about. And that's really rough. I mean, it, this, this virus has really, people say it's 
the great equalizer. And in fact, it's not equalizing folks at all. People are having, like I said earlier, a very different experience and what it might be like if you cannot socially distance. And I mean, you and I both know folks have a have a real perception that people get this free medical care inside prisons when in fact what free medical care means is typically no medical care at all. I mean, I remember being inside and putting in a request to see a doctor when I had strep throat and that request was answered about two months later. And so I never got to see anyone. I mean, I've seen people that finally got to the doctor and they had a fatal diagnosis. So people are not getting the same kind of health care in there. They're not getting any health care in many, in many cases. And they're dying. They're going to die. They're dying and they're going to die in great numbers. And it's real travesty, particularly, I think, for folks. Number one, like top layer, yes, older people. Second layer, folks that have marijuana charges. I mean, cannabis has been deemed an essential business in many states and the cannabis dispensaries are still open while folks, primarily people of color, are in prison for cannabis. It's absolutely, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's just big business here in America. So it's going to be a while. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's business. Prison is business. People don't make a profit if there aren't bodies sitting in prison. The voter block becomes complicated for white politicians when brown people aren't in prison, right? So it's a real messed up system. And I wonder, it tends to get a lot of other systems get are getting attention now. The healthcare system, people are looking out and going, Wow, this healthcare system is really broken. Wow, unemployment is really broken. At what point is the ma- are the masses going to turn and see that our prison system is really broken and it doesn't actually work to throw away any percentage of our population? We are affected as affected. You know, we are affected by the folks among us that are treated the worst, right? Yeah, you know, time and time again, um, I feel like it's just it, if if you haven't actually been to prison. And or if you haven't actually had like a relative or someone close to you that's experienced that, you're just 100 percent oblivious to the entire thing, and there's there's no motivation to do anything about anything. You know, it's just and it's so it's easy to think. Well, that. those people deserve to be there. That's their yeah. those people deserve to be there, and they should have thought about that before they committed a crime. And I think one of the things that's so awesome about the work we get to do here, I feel so humbled and honored to be able to uplift the voices of people because when other folks are able to experience the individual humanity, like you said, if you've done, if you've been there or you have a relative, someone you love and care about that's been to prison, you have the opportunity to see that whole person as someone who was dealing with circumstances that were not so black and white. And that compassion arises from that, right? So you can say, wow, this person had some had some addictions, whether that's to crime, whether that's that identity to crime, whether it's to drugs, a combination of all those things. Uh, you get to see a little more humanity for folks, and it starts to wake up that part of a brain and psychology that goes, wow, there's actual human beings in there. They're mothers, daughters, sons, husbands, fathers. You know, they're actually people that, if given the chance, given the tools, given even a little bit of support that maybe they have something worth contributing to the rest of society. They do really well. And you and I know that we, we interview people all the time here that were completely thrown away and they have somehow managed to keep their head up and turn their lives around. And they're forever coming on our shows saying, not only did I do this startup, this business that is successful and making money for me, Every time, am I right? They are doing service work on the side. They're uplifting other folks in the world. It's powerful. I don't see that with as much in arenas with people that have not had such a difficult path, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it, when you're in there, you know how much people need it. And um, it really motivates you to get that spark that creates that flame. And then once, you know, everyone that we have on the show, in my opinion, that's traversed, you know, been through hell and back and, and done it and accomplished something since then, you know, that no one thought was possible. And um, I feel like it's our obligation to kind of lead by example and show people, look, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a dead end. You know, here you have people that did 20 years, you know, uh, were facing life and, you know, all these types of things. And, and they've came out of it 
uh, successfully and motivated and, you know, you can, anyone, if, if they can do it, anyone is possible, you know, it's possible for them to do as well. I agree. That's why I love this work so much. It's just such an edge. It's an, a space on the edges of society. And it just feels like it's a really powerful and unifying project to be able to humanize folks that are on the margins like that. It's good for those folks. It's good for people that are marginalized to be able to see that somebody cares about their voice, their humanity, and their actually, you know, their wild ability to participate and be amazing parts of the culture, as well as for people who haven't had the experience to understand that everybody is worth a second, third, fourth, fifth chance. You know, there's just no, there's no real trash among humanity. I think everybody has the opportunity to, to lift themselves up. I'm curious, I've been reading, um, and looking at some of the folks online, some of the celebrities, particularly Ellen DeGeneres recently <laughs> yeah. made a joke. Do you see yeah. that about how uh, know her life in her mansion was much like being in prison? And certainly yeah. it got very mixed reviews. A lot of people were really, you know, <laughs> thought that was funny and no big deal. She's making a joke. It's comedy. And some people were really, really uh, offended by that comment and feel like it powerfully marginalizes folks. What did you think about it? Having, having been in prison? How does it feel to hear a celebrity <laughs> in a mansion compare their quarantine? You know, it's, to it's easy to watch. The, it's easy to watch the show and, and know about Ellen, and you know, and like it, everything is geared to for her to be completely lovable and have no wrong. You know, uh, not a bad bone in her body, and, and just she's the most generous and nice person. But uh, when when celebrities do things like that, in my opinion, it just shows you how out of touch they are with reality, uh, which is completely I get it. You know, because you're insulated and isolated. And, uh, you're just in another stratosphere in comparison to the normal human beings on, in America. But uh, it, 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 it was just kind of sort of spotlight on um, just the ignorance that, you know, that separation could create. It does, right? I mean, I, I have this hope that, in fact, it will shed such a spotlight. You just said that celebrities are insulated and isolated. And I would use those same words to describe folks in prison. Not Absolutely. to say that the prison experience is like Ellen's experience, not even close. But I think what's interesting is during this time, it, or during crazy times in the world, I think as a culture, we really look up to celebrities. Like it's common to say, well, what do the celebrities have to say? And they <laughs> tend to take on these roles of, of using their platform to reach out and to have personal opinions and to help politics that they believe in and things like that. This quarantine, the celebrities, just don't feel so supportive, right? You look to the celebrities, what they're doing, and it's it's just eye roll. It's not that interesting. And one of the systems that I think would be really amazing to come out of this whole thing would be a like a a break in the worship of celebrity culture because it's not realistic. It really actually hurts a lot of people to aspire to be mega rich and mega famous. It's not only unhealthy it's impossible for most people. So it creates a life where they're striving for something that just gives them anxiety and makes them feel bad about themselves. And also it's, it's over the top, you know, it's just not, it's not health. It's not even healthy for the celebrities because the truth is yes, they are insulated and isolated. It just creates another kind of cultural divide, like a class system that just isn't working. And just like we bring out the humanity and the voices as best we can of folks that are on the other side of that spectrum. I mean, I would love to see, you know, more inmates uplifted and less celebrity voices out there. So I, I'm kind of psyched to see some celebrity takedowns. I think JLo posted a photo or a, a video of her son delivering drinks to her and A-Rod in their massive backyard on one of those, what are those floating, <laughs> like, wheels? What are those things called that... that the people ride, they have no handles. You just put your feet on them and like they go. It was like floating, futuristic. And she posted something like, quarantine's not so bad. The service and entertainment are really good here. Yeah, and it's like, it's, wow. But, it illuminates how different people's experiences are. And nobody kind of wants to hear it right now. Like, don't put your wealth in our face, J-Lo. <laughs> well, we're, you know, we're, we're in an unprecedented time of massive collective uh, anxiety and PTSD and 
um, just the entire, I mean, you got to think of the energy everywhere, you know, it's just filled with uncertainty and um, stress. And so a lot of these celebrities, I mean, I'd say almost 99% of them, they don't relate to that. You know, even, even though it's upsetting that they can't go to Spago or get sushi or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> It's completely different. Or can't get the attention. I notice it's almost like they they can't not get attention. Like Ellen, particularly, she's yeah. practically doing her show on Instagram Live. You know, that's the problem. I mean, uh, like, what is this, it like just a hush? In today's day and age, uh, for celebrities, it's what have you done for me lately? You know, uh, if a celebrity hasn't had a hit movie or a good TV show recently, they they're irrelevant. You know, and it happens very rapidly in this day and age. You know, and back in the eighties, right. if you were a celebrity. You were a celebrity for life and, you know, you were popular and relevant. You know, now that's not the case. I mean, it has to be updated every day. and uh, Every single day. Remember when magazines came out once a month and you would read an article <laughs> and now content yeah. is like 15 articles a day or whatever yeah. for one like, author. I'm getting three emails from Alama Week every day and there's six stories in each email. And right. It's just, you know, every everyone's so desensitized to news and stuff. It's And it's outlandish competition or your couple seconds that you can be doing something on Facebook. It's just, it's incredibly unhealthy in my opinion. It sets a bad precedence and uh, it leads to situations like we're seeing right now with Ellen and celebrities. I mean, it's just an incredible disconnect and uh, I don't think it will ever not be a disconnect like that. But I hope that that changes. I feel I like to hold on to some optimism. Like you said, this is an unprecedented time of anxiety and stress. It's unprecedented. There's fear in the air. Everyone is afraid. And also, I feel like there are incredible moments of lightness. I also am having the experience of hearing people talk about how amazing it is to have the opportunity to slow down, to spend time at home with family to cook food instead of going to every restaurant and every party and what that is doing for their life. I mean, I just, I'm really optimistic that there will be some powerful positive changes. I mean, it's how I, you know, have to think to get out of bed every day. And it's just, I really hope and hope to be a part of being able to uplift voices that wouldn't ordinarily be heard because the voices of folks on the other end of that celebrity spectrum, the people that don't get heard, they have interesting stuff to say. You know, there's interesting things to be learned from people who actually know what it means to be on lockdown, to be on quarantine, basically, for all practical purposes, right? Yeah, I mean, it's especially, it's especially eye-opening. Um, I say it a lot, just to go through a situation like that where you get locked up, or you have your freedom, you know, completely stripped stripped away from you. Um, it it really kind of helps rebirth uh, a new mentality and a new kind of, you know, you have a new way of viewing things, viewing society, viewing what's really important, what's you know, what's the most tangible, and um, you know, kind of seeing that all the stuff, all the smoke and mirrors and this the glitter and all the stuff is, is not really what's important in life. You know, it breaks it down to the bare bones and, you know, unfortunately something, you know, for the majority of people I know, it, it kind of takes that going through that to kind of realize that and to kind of get on a mentality of, well, before I thought this, 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 and this were important, but then I realized that the only thing that really is important is family, you know, friends, uh, enjoying my life and just appreciating the small things and um, being being less dependent on other people or institutions to take care of our needs in a situation where we need to meet our own needs what does that look like you know that's the really big question yeah exactly and you know like I said before I was on house arrest for three years and um, you know, right now we're on a month and a half everyone being on house <laughs> arrest and I think a lot of people are going to come to a lot of the same conclusions that I came up with after I was uh, done with that and released from that, just you know, on a, on a, on a much larger scale. And um, it really, it really does kind of help you put things into perspective, and it really does kind of help uh, motivate you. I mean, how many times are we seeing people talk about like, oh, uh, as soon as this is over, I'm going to be 
doing everything with everyone. I'm going out here and doing this and all the stuff I said I was going to do. And I didn't do, I'm going to do it now. Like that's powerful, you know, I mean, yeah, in my opinion. Sure. It's so. really interesting. Um, I read one of my favorite books that got me through my prison time was Victor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning. It's a book by a guy who years ago was in a concentration camp and he was a psychologist and he came out. It's a really short book. It's a super easy read. Um, It was a powerful, powerful piece on what it means to be in a situation where, like you said, everything's stripped away, all rights are stripped away. In fact, your identity, your humanity, which, you know, is not in prison, even is many worlds better than a concentration camp. But to talk about, you know, I had, I could resonate with the experience of what it was like to have my, you know, you've got your clothes taken away. Um, You know, there's many men's prisons, you get your hair taken away, you know, in, in county jail, we got makeup taken away, you get your, you know, your name is basically replaced with a number. There's a way that you're completely stripped of your personal identity and the things that you think define you, your stuff, your car, your affect, your job, whatever it is. And all of a sudden you are inmate number one, five, eight, nine, four, oh, four, five. Right. I still remember my number, of course, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, I, and one of the most powerful things he says in this book is that you have to go through the phases of grief, right? Dabda, what is it? De- denial, acceptance, bargaining, depression. Uh, what is it? Denial. Anyway, I forget. Dabda, yeah. denial, anger, I think. Um, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And then I think there's a last one that has been added that's about you finally find meaning in your experience. And I see that in people that we talk to on this show. They've gone through this process. There's been a transformation. But what we don't always talk about with them or get into as much because we love getting to the transformation and the success of their lives is there is a process. And I know it happened to me and I saw it happen to so many people inside and I'm seeing it happen to people in quarantine right now where you kind of hit a wall. You don't know first and foremost how to process. You're not allowed to go hang out with your friends. And that is so radically different for people in prison. It's like, you're not allowed to leave. You're not allowed to have clothes. You can't eat what you want. All these things It takes a minute for your brain to say, okay, this is actually real. I know in prison, you kind of see it by people thinking they're all going to get out. I don't know if you you had that experience. I think it's in a lot of prisons, that psychology of there's got to be something. I I mean, I heard women talking on the phone that are like, God's going to let me out. They're convinced (laughs) that their faith in God is going to unlock that prison door. Right. And nothing unlocks that prison door until you're, until you're ready, you know, until your sentence is up. Hopefully that'll change and some people will get out. But like, what do you think? I mean, how long is it going to take people? I, I want people to get this immediately, but there might be this stage of grief that people have to go through before they're really prepared to take on and change some of these systems. Like people are going through, I don't know if you see it, but you know, oh, well, maybe I can just go meet people and we'll all hang out 10 feet apart. And like, there's this real denial. Some people are having real uh, depression. You know, some people are in acceptance. Some people are finding deep meaning in this experience. I'd love to see everyone get to deep meaning real quick, but I'm not sure what that'll take. I think we're going to see the whole spectrum. Um, But the one thing, though, is collectively, like, everyone is on social media together. Everyone's watching the news together. Um, Everyone's dealing with the same, you know, just craziness together. And I think inevitably there should be, like, a high mentality or, um, you know, just to where we all kind of arrive at the same social consciousness. And, um, you know, whether one way or another, we're all on the same boat right now. And um, I think we're all going to arrive at the same or similar destination in the end, no matter how this plays out. But it's, you know, on that note, uh, actually, we should probably do a little quick commercial break. Let's pay some bills. Yes. (laughs) CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service 
which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. All right, and we're back with another quarantine edition of Felony Inc. Podcast. Me and Meg Tipidor, just uh, chopping it up today about the uh, situation at hand. Um, so, I mean, my thought process is, Meg, it's kind of crazy how, all we, uh, again, just to kind of reiterate what we get, what we were talking about earlier, all we hear on the news is, you know, Harvey Weinstein, um, Tiger King, uh, celebrities with coronavirus. That seems to be like pretty pretty predictable fodder for news, you know, and easy reporting. Um, but there is to kind of turn a blind eye to the real situation that's kind of simmering in the, our nation's institutional systems. Um, do you think that if there was more light shown on the situation, we would have more people potentially getting out faster? It's hard to say. I would like to think so. I do not know what it will take for the mainstream to care about quote unquote criminals. It just seems to be this pot of that we can store people that no one wants to think about. I mean, I don't know what the psychology, we also live in this culture that is so profoundly identified with individualistic society and they have good reason to be like, you have to get yours, right? If you don't get yours, your piece of the pie, your money, your success, your home, your healthcare, all these things, if you don't get yours, you actually might die in the street, right? The stakes are high. We don't have fallback safety nets. I mean, it's absolutely, in, it's just unheard of that we're even getting stimulus money during this time. And as much as it is, it's still not enough. And it's just, what will it take to, you know, it's some kind of a massive collective support system so people can feel safe enough to not only feel like they need to get theirs, but that they actually have enough. They're not in that poverty lack mentality, which it's so reasonable for them to be, so that they actually have, feel safe enough to share with their neighbor, to feel calm enough, to have enough brain space to even wonder how they can help, how they can develop compassion for people. You know, it's like, what do they say? We can only have like seven close friends. I mean, there's actual science around how many people we can care about at one time. And if we're stressed and our backs are up against the wall for our own survival needs, there's no space there to start wondering how the criminals are doing. That's like an easy throwaway subset, right? It's easy to go, okay, I can't care about them right now. I'm going to care about me. I'm going to care about my family members. And then if I have any more time left, maybe I'll reach out to a a neighbor or another acquaintance, but to go as far as to have the space to be able to care about this whole group of people that are, you know, an easy throwaway. They did something bad, right? They did something unconscionable. It's just, what is it going to take to break through that wall? I think it starts with some sort of huge collective support from a government that clearly is not, um, does not have our best interests at heart as, as a, as a nation of humans, we're more like a nation of consumers, right? Our oh, yeah. value is in what can we buy? How can we show up? And how can we stay completely stressed out so that we don't actually have time to think enough to want to change things? It doesn't serve the government that's in place. for us. It doesn't serve the, the, the prisons. The prisons are for profit. The hospitals, for crying out loud, are for profit. I've been reading about how hospitals, because they've got so much coronavirus, they're actually losing other patients and they're losing money. So our healthcare system is a for-profit system that is stressed now because it is a business that is in trouble. And that doesn't serve the people, right? That serves the bottom line only. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly how it is. I mean, it's really exposing the reality of how these institutions are, you know, operate and run. Um, hospitals for sure are a for-profit business in America. And, um, I don't know, I was reading something the other day about they uh you know, there's a lot of reports that kinda of, if you die right now, no matter what it's from, if you have coronavirus in your system in your in your system, 
they classify that as a coronavirus um, impacted death. And if they do so, they receive more funding. And I mean, I, I'm trying to do more research on this, but that's not that far fetched of, of a thing. That is reality. Um, that, yeah, I haven't heard that, but that, I, I mean, nothing would surprise me at this point. Yeah. We were reading an article about the Mexican government who was classifying coronavirus folks as pneumonia in order to keep the numbers of coronavirus low. Down. And yeah. it's just at a point where it's hard to know who to trust. But I think human psychology, we you know, proven over and over and over with many different kinds of government, human beings need leadership of some kind. And the ability to sort of turn off any sort of critical thinking and cognition in order just to blindly follow so that you feel safe seems to be a human trait. So it really is hard to know what will shift things. I do believe, however, not to be just a complete and utter pessimist, I did say I do have an optimistic attitude. I, I have to say, I do have a lot of belief and faith in what we can do as people individually. I mean, I don't like to put all the onus on the individual because we do need to work as a collective. It's incredibly important. And that individual onus can lead to people feeling a lot of anxiety because they can't change everything by themselves. But there's a balance in there somewhere where we can get up every day. We can practice kindness and compassion. Me and you, anyone who's listening, you know, those little moments where we can take that space to uplift someone else's voice or to even, you know, write someone a letter, think someone, you know, take the time to rearrange our own psychology, to be more collective minded, to recognize that we are connected to all beings. And in fact, a lot of our prosperity, a lot of our abundance does come from sharing. And in a time where it's not always easy just to go out and get the things we need, I hope that people are able to see how powerful the relationships they have are because we can help each other out we can share and our true wealth is in, you know, a healthy planet that has resources and in the relationships that we have with people who have our backs, right? That's like major wealth and it gets lost in the, in the, the constant chase for, for money and power and success. I know, oh, we're talking, you know this podcast is all about successful startups and businesses, but you know, Ned space is, is, is a great, a great group of folks, Startup Radio Network, that does a lot of powerful service work and promote shows like ours that help us to uplift the voices that aren't heard. You know, it's it really seems obvious to me that folks that do really well selling drugs are going to maybe do really well in another business that also <laughs> transforms well, the hustle, I mean, right? It's all the same <laughs> thing, you know. Uh, have you seen The Pharmacist on Netflix yet? No, I haven't seen that one yet. Would you recommend? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, okay. I mean the whole premise. Yeah, the whole thing is just showing uh, the corruption and the greed in the pharmaceutical industry, which is very apparent, you know. But uh, it really highlights drug it more than. Yeah, I mean, yeah, literally. World's best drug dealer. Yeah, it's fine as long as it's commercial on TV. It's fine. Yeah, as, and, as long uh, as they make great contributions to politicians, they're fine. Yeah. There's no problem. You know, they have a nice building with a nice logo and stuff. It's overlooked. Um, you know, I actually have a two-part question for you. Um, first of all, uh, do you think how many people in prison do you think are going to receive stimulus checks? You know, because obviously you can't go to the bank or the ATM. <laughs> I think zero people are going to receive stim <laughs> stimulus checks in prison. I bet you know that would be interesting. Anybody who was because it has to do with your last tax returns, right? So anybody yeah. that's been in prison more than a couple of years, definitely not. But would somebody that just got to prison that does have a tax return from last year, hard to say, right? That that, well, you know, that, that check's going to go into their account and then somebody would have to access it and be able to drop it into their commissary account. I, I bet being locked up is uh, makes you ineligible, like many things. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like uh, being a monopoly. When you're in jail, you can't collect any money at all. Right. Um, and then how, you know, how much of that money goes to restitution, to fees, to fines, to insanely expensive phone calls just so you can call your kid? Yeah, of course. I think a lot of people would be really very shocked and dismayed that there's no, or to learn there's no ATMs in prison, you know. 
Well, there's no there's money. No you can't even touch this stuff, right? <laughs> you, it's all weird digital money. Yeah, money is contraband in prison. Totally. It was so weird getting out of prison, having a wallet with, like, going to the store and buying things. Yeah, you had to look around every time you pulled some money out, making sure no one was watching. Right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Even just the sound of for so long. I still sometimes will be walking, and it's hard for me to walk off the sidewalk onto the grass. I don't know if that was the case for y'all, but when we were out in the yard... <laughs> No, you couldn't even step on the grass. Somebody would scream at you. There's these little pathways through the prison compound and you couldn't leave those pathways. And I'll still sometimes, years and years, what it's been, 12, 13 years. God, I don't even know. 15? 15 years since I've been in prison. Good grief. Um, I'll still sometimes find myself, it's tough to step on off the sidewalk onto the grass. PTSD is real. It is, so it is crazy. It, indeed, it is. But my my second my second point to that is, you know, a lot of uh, just prison kind of shows you what's important, you know, in life, and, and when they because that's what they take away. And one of the main things when you're in prison, as you know, um, the biggest punishment you can get is to be put into solitary confinement, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, for whatever reason, yeah. For whatever reason, us we as human beings. Um, we we depend on other people. We have to physically be around other human beings. So I feel like right now with this quarantine, I mean, that kind of negates that entire, it kind of goes against everything that we're programmed to feel and, and think and, and just our own survival. So I think that um, we're going to see a lot of, just in my personal opinion, depending on how long this plays out, there's going to be a lot of uh, psychological, like mental mental illness issues that are going to arise because of this. I agree. And this is like, to my point earlier, the voices that would be helpful during this time are the voices of people who know what that's like. You know, that would be, I would much rather talk to, um, you know, Shaka Sengor, that guy we talk about on Instagram, who was in prison for over, or in solitary, not just prison, but solitary confinement for over 4,000 days. Four thousand days i mean to even comprehend what it would be like because solitary confinement is so much more severe than what we're doing now you can't get on blind you can't listen to podcasts you can't do anything you're in four square walls all by yourself and it is notorious for being torture it's notorious for causing grave grave mental disorders and on a on a smaller scale, but on a very real scale, you're right. People are, you know, human beings are social creatures, and there are plenty of people right now that are isolated by themselves in apartments or basement apartments or very small spaces. And I agree, folks that have already been prone to depression and anxiety and isolation or addiction, um, those those things are going to be heightened. And what does that look like? Are they going to turn to celebrities for help? You know, I really think that this is the time where we could just flip the script and the folks that have experiences with isolation, oppression, mental illness, and folks that have done serious time and turned their lives around, folks that have been in in solitary, it's fascinating to listen to what it took for them to get through. That's the kind of advice I think would be most helpful for people. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, uh, and the crazy thing is, like, you would think being in prison, um, you would want to be away from rapists and drug addicts and murderers and all these people that, you know, would be very uncomfortable to be around for a normal person. Um, but that is actually punishment, you know. So it, it says a lot right there that, that the, just the importance of community, the importance of just having someone to, to you know, the energy to feed off of, you know, and just taking that away how detrimental that could be to just anyone. It's so true. And I think there's a real misconception. I mean, it is true. There are plenty of prisons that are terrifying and, and full of violence and all of that, but that is not always the primary experience in prison. I know it's different for men's prisons and women's prisons as well, but what people don't always understand, you know, they think, Oh, someone's in prison. They are a rapist. They're a murderer. They're a robber, uh, whatever it is. The fact is that is often just one part of someone's entire personality. 
And so you're not always in prison with a rapist and a murderer and a robber. You're in prison with people who have those things. It is vast. Primarily you're in prison dealers, let's be honest. That's the bulk of who's in prison. And um, those people are not completely defined by that. Like, you know, and I know you go to prison, people don't sit around regularly talking about the crimes they committed. I mean, it does happen. But people in prison are sitting around oftentimes trying to do better, trying to change their life. They take hobbies. They find God. They have interesting conversations. They are real human beings with real vulnerabilities, with real tender and of their personality. They talk about their families. They talk about their children. There's jokes. There's games. It's literally people that are trying so very hard to do something different and to do something better. And there's plenty of places in prison where you can find love and connection, community, hilarity, and inspiration. It's not like you're sitting around room in a room full of, you know, rabid jungle cats. You're sitting around in a room full of real humans who have hit rock bottom. And many of them are trying their best. Not all of them, but many of them. It's just yeah. a fact. So yeah, it's, that's one of the primary things people ask me when I got out of prison as, you know, a fairly attractive looking white lady. I don't get treated the same as other folks who come out of prison. I tend to, when I say I've been in prison, I tend to get primarily positive feedback. Oh my God, you, I would have never guessed it. Wow. And <laughs> one of the first things they always say is, were you scared? And, you know, I was in a low security women's prison. It was basically like sleepaway camp for wayward women. I mean, there was a lot of mental illness, addiction. There was a lot of clamoring for attention, but there wasn't a lot of straight up violence. It was anything but scary. I mean, it was scary for on a personal level. It was scary, like taking care of my own mental health. It was scary to think what's going to happen to me when I get out, because what is, is society going to accept me? Am I going to be able to be successful? Did this just, did I ruin my life? There were a lot of things that, about it that were scary, but being in the common area with a bunch of women playing cards and crocheting and making enchiladas out of Frito-Lay chips, not scary. I was much, it would be much scarier to be in solitary confinement. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Terrifying. Least, yeah, at least when, you know, in, at least when in general population, you have options and you have things that you can do to kind of distract you or be productive, you know, while you're in solitary, they take away everything from you. So Even if you don't talk to the people around you, the yeah. fact that, that there are people around you is mm -hmm. helpful. It's uplifting to your mental health. So it's, you know, it's my real hope that out of this, that there's a light shine that is able to be shown on our mental health care system as well. Cause you're right. There's people out there that are going to have really delicate mental health. You know, we actually depression and anxiety is already pandemic. Yeah. So it is, you know, there's a really good, if not assured chance that that's going to be exacerbated for a lot of people. And we know that mental health is not well treated in our country. And I really, really hope that a light is shown on that in a way that's powerful and helpful for people as a whole, because we really are only as good as the, the weakest among us. We have to take care of everyone. Yeah, it's, it's only as strong as the weakest link. And, uh, you know, one of my main concerns is right now, people hit me up every day, all day, asking how I'm doing. Uh, are you hanging in there? Is everything going okay? Because people know I'm out of work. I'm completely out right. of work, obviously. Um, and, you know, I ask, I ask them back and then I'm on social media every day and I'm seeing people make posts and talk about things that, you know, because I have no time, you know, I have all the time in the world. But I'm really concerned at when it starts to, it starts to turn. I feel like right now everyone's got a real brave face on and, you know, especially for social media, it's for, you know, people are watching, keep appearances up. There's been a couple of cracks in the armor, but I'm I'm very concerned that as we progress, because this very well might last months, maybe years, maybe it, it might never change, you know, right now. It's going to last longer than we think it is, I think. I guarantee it's going to last longer than, you know, they're talking about opening things up uh, in 13 days. It's, I just don't see it. <laughs> I, I don't see that at all. Yeah. And, uh, and even if it did, it would negate all the, every, it would make everything that we've just done for the last two months completely pointless. So 
it's just, it's not, I don't think it's possible, but my concern is as things progress, as the weather continues to get nicer, as people start to feel that financial crunch with, you know, everyone's feeling it. I don't don't really know anyone that hasn't been impacted by this. Although I don't know anyone that owns a grocery store personally or, you know, any of the businesses that are flourishing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the owner of Grubhub, but. I don't know any owners of prisons personally. (laughs) But even owners of prisons, they're going to start letting out more and more people. You know, they have to, Um, it's just in their best interest. And then, I mean, you want to talk about that. That's what would be crazy is getting out like a year early right now and then having no support structure and being in this. Like, that would be that would be very disheartening. Um, I know just last week, me and you were talking about institutionalization and people that are institutionalized. There's a degree of comfort in knowing where your next meal is going to be coming from. And, right. It's uh, a good point. We, I mean, it's a lose-lose. You, yeah. We want to get people out of prison, but there are lots of people in prison who have nowhere to go. Yeah. And then that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's really easy. I mean, it doesn't seem like it might be from the outside perspective, but when you get into that, it's really easy just to get like, when you get in jail to kind of be like, Oh, well, I don't have to worry about these bill collectors. I don't have to worry about this problem, that problem. I have to go to work in the morning. You know, I can just survive just by being here. And then when you, when you're out and, the weight of the world is on you to support yourself and to feed yourself and to clothe yourself and to house yourself. It could be extremely overwhelming for people. I mean, that's not a game. And, uh, you know, and, and especially in these times, I couldn't even imagine, I could not imagine getting out right now and, and having no support mm-hmm. structure and no family and having no idea. I mean, I'd be scared to death. Honestly. Right. So, but you know, just to no. kind of reiterate, <laughs> go ahead. I was just going to reiterate you. Just like my thought is that the, you know, as we're approaching the end of our time, is is you know a call to action to us, to our listeners, to anyone who does have the chops already. Like we have already been blessed or whatever with the opportunity to go through the process that those stages of grief, what it feels like to have everything taken away. I mean, you I've had it happen to me more than once. I'm sure you have too. Those of us that have struggled, those of us that are not encountering this new way of thinking, having to radically change everything about our, our identity and our, our, um, our access to resources, to mental health and connection. Those of us that have already had the opportunity to go through experiences that have made us that, so that we are somewhat more acquainted, maybe stronger in this time, it feels like it's kind of up to us to be patient, to be compassionate. It's easy to be judgmental of people who are still, oh, those people are still going out and gathering. How dare they? But it really, truly is a process for human psychology to go to make that leap. And for us to be patient, to be uh, conscientious and compassionate and be able to kind of be a strong voice in this time and to reach out to people, you know, to be connective. I think it's really, really important that that would be my call to action. I really want to hold on to the optimism that we can find better ways of doing things as a, as a human culture. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more and, you know, to end it on some, Something positive, or at least somewhat positive. Uh, you know, I'm a huge advocate for just if you're if you're sitting down, if you're at the house, like we all are, reach out to everyone. Reach out to your family. Continue to check on your family. Continue to check on the friends and people you really care about. Um, and you know, even even maybe check on a random person that you don't really know that well. You know, it's on social media because I feel like all of us are putting on a real brave face. And for the for the most part, like it's a lot of bullshit. Like. We are, you know, we're acting tough, but a lot of people really are very concerned. And a lot of people are, they don't know where the next, you know, the money's coming from. They don't know how they're going to pay for this. They don't know what's going to happen with this. It's a huge uh, era of uncertainty. So I, I think the number one thing we could do, the most valuable thing as a, as a society at this point is just be there for each other and check in without having, without feeling the need to have to check in, you know, just do it. Just have the pure, uh, just goodness of your heart. You know, I think a little bit can go a long way in these times. And just remembering, I think that it's totally normal and totally possible and totally okay to have conflicting feelings at the same time. You can feel 
relaxed and relieved and enjoy the pause while still being terrified. It's, it's, it's a kind of a skill to be able to have conflicting thoughts, right? To have a kind of cognitive dissonance where two different feelings bump up against each other. I'm terrified and also kind of relaxed. I feel incredibly disconnected. Also, like you were talking about with social media, which is a real gift to us at this time, I feel weirdly and incredibly connected in a way that I didn't before this crisis as well. So I feel both connected and disconnected. I'm terrified and I'm hopeful. You know, I can live in a space of uncertainty with conflicting emotions that I don't understand. Just because at one moment I feel this terrific lightness and optimism does not take away. It doesn't eradicate the fact that I'm still scared and it doesn't minimize the, the fear that other people have. Right. And when I'm really terrified, that's okay too. And it doesn't eradicate the optimism and the hope. So learning to sit at the crux of different conflicting emotions and being okay with all of them, I think it's a really important skill to have and one we can share in our in our affect, the way we do connect with our friends and reach out to them and, and hold all of the different ways that we're we're all feeling at this time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, that's the number one way right now to turn lemons into lemonade. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> let's wrap the podcast for today. This yeah. has been fun, Dick. Thank you so yeah. much for yeah, we should do it more often for, Yeah, for pivoting. We'll do it next Friday, but maybe maybe next Friday we'll we'll have a guest. Yeah, maybe with the guests. Let's, let's try with yeah, the guests. Yeah, that'll be see. fun. Yeah, it might be a, a nice a change. A little gathering, a little remote <laughs> gathering. Yeah, and for everyone out there listening, you can catch me and Meg every Friday at 10 a.m. at StartupRadioNetwork.com. It fell in the podcast, and we'll see you next week. Hang in there. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you can easily control how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Visit callruby.com slash startup radio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Felony Inc. sent you and get $150 credit. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.